May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, number one, woo! It is college football season, and if you have been watching any of that, I'm guessing that you have either seen or heard that, right? They pan the crowds, and all of the fans are there sticking their fingers in the camera. Number one! Or maybe it's, I am the greatest. When, when you hear that, what's the image that rolls through your mind? Is it Muhammad Ali jumping up and down in a ring with gloves over the, over the, the head? Or, or maybe you're more a baseball person, Ricky Henderson. He steals his 939th base. He tears it up out of the ground, holds it up over his head, and says, I'm the greatest of all time. Or maybe you're more a, a movie person, and it's Ricky Bobby declaring, I'm the best there's ever been. Maybe, uh, or, or m- maybe you're thinking a little different area. Maybe your head, when I shouted, I am the greatest, you were, you were thinking Mother Teresa taunting those starving kids in Calcutta saying, I'm the greatest. No? Or, or maybe a Red Cross disaster relief volunteer uh, kind of elbowing out the, the other one with finger up in the air, I'm number one at, at the disaster site. No? But could they have claimed it? I think, I think our world and and our hearts sometimes have a little difficulty when it comes to determining who's the greatest or, or what greatness is. We saw that in our text, the, the disciples were, were way off. But, but maybe before we get there, we, we should figure out you know, what, what's the criteria for greatness. Is it wealth or power or, or influence or popularity? What makes a person great? Today, God's word gives us the answer. Greatness is service. Service to God's will and service to others. The disciples didn't, didn't get it. They were arguing about greatness on the road. In fact, in our text, we see them twice silenced as they're grappling with this issue. And any honest listener will admit that, uh, that we're right there with those disciples as we struggle with this. So, so the first time, it's when Jesus is describing in very clear terms what's going to happen, right? He's, he's going to, to suffer and die. He's going to be betrayed and killed, and on the third day, he will rise. He, he spoke it very clearly, right? But look at verse 32. <clears throat> But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They were silent. The whole reason Jesus was there, right? The fulfillment of every one of those Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, and they knew that that was him, the Messiah. Everything that Jesus' life and ministry had been all about, and it says they didn't get it. And the worst part, the worst part is that the one that they knew could explain it to them, Jesus, was standing right there in front of them, 
and it says they were afraid to ask him. Probably more accurately, they were too proud to ask him. Have you ever been there afraid to ask? You know, maybe in a, in a little less serious situation, uh, you, you meet someone and you know their name, right? They tell you their name. And you know their name and you know that you know their name, but the next time you see them, you realize you don't remember their name, but you know that they know that, that you knew their name so that now if you don't know their name, they'll know that you forgot their name. And so if you ask them, they, they might feel bad about it, but if you don't ask them, it'll be longer and you won't know their name and they'll know that you should know their name, but you don't know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Afraid to... To ask, too embarrassed to ask, too proud to ask. That's where these disciples are. <clears throat> Jesus had been teaching. This was not the first time that, uh, that they had gone over this. Jesus had taught this to them before. At this point, in fact, late in his ministry, Jesus is now keeping a lower profile as he is spending more time teaching these soon-to-be teachers they should get this. They should know what he's talking about by now. He, he's not, I mean, you, you see it right there. He's not speaking in, in any kind of veiled references. He teaches them very clearly. But they didn't get it. Why? It's not because he wasn't clear. It's because of what was going on in their own heads. Their, their presuppositions. Their, their pride was getting in the way of them understanding what... Jesus was, was so clearly saying, right? I mean, their argument later on in the text was exactly that. But, but we'll get into that more. For now, just think about this. Jesus said it so clearly, and they didn't get it. Because they knew that Jesus was supposed to be their Savior, and they knew what that meant, right? That, that he was going to have this great eternal kingdom. They know what a kingdom looks like. That, that he, would, he, he would have to then destroy the Romans and, and reestablish David's throne, right? That's, that's what they were thinking. And so when Jesus said what that saving would actually look like, they said, no, no that, that doesn't compute. And so often we are right there where God says something so clearly and our pride prevents us from letting it sink in. Right, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's a, a promise God made and, and you, you don't see him fulfilling it the way you think it should be fulfilled and so, well, he's, he's missing it, Right? Or maybe it's something he says, and, and it could happen where you read a section of Scripture or you hear a section of Scripture and you just say, you know what, I just don't like that, I'm not going to believe that. But, but usually it's a little more subtle than that, isn't it? Maybe it's a deflection tactic where, where it's talking to that person more than to me. They're way worse at this than, than I am, so I must not be so bad by comparison. Or... God tells me to do something, and, well, I've got my excuses or reasons not to, right? Put God first. Well, uh, un unless there's something on the kid's schedule or my work calls. Forgive, well, unless they, they really hurt me. Sacrifice, well, no, I've got to stand up for myself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where God is so clear. 
and we just let that, our own understanding, get in the way and, and, and block it. Is it time for Jesus to do what, what he does in our text to those disciples in that room, in that house in Capernaum? Is it time for Jesus to, to silence us when we say, no, 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 God, we know what you really mean. Look at how he does it in our text. He asks them a simple question. Hey, what were you guys talking about on the road? And suddenly they're silent because they knew what they were talking about. Imagine how we might be silenced. And just, just picture Jesus returning with all his glory as you had just avoided an opportunity to serve one of his little ones or skipped an opportunity to grow in his word. Imagine Jesus coming with all his angels and as you were sitting on the, on the TV, uh, on the couch and, and uh, watching something on TV that doesn't give him glory. Imagine him interrupting your, your last conversation with your spouse where you were both demanding your way and asking, what were you guys just talking about? Yeah, there's plenty of times where I'd have to be plenty quiet. And I think the same is true for, for every one of us here. When we're arguing uh, about our own rights and our pride, which is really what every argument is, is about, isn't it? All Jesus has to say is, is, what was that? And we've got nothing to say. Too often, we might not say, you know, hey, I'm more important than you, so you should do what I want. We might not say that out loud, but our, our actions and our attitudes are screaming, me first. And there we are with the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. Can you see why our text started the way it did? Jesus didn't want people to know where they were because, because he wanted some time to teach his disciples. And in doing that, he's teaching us. They needed to get this because they would be great. And he's got great things in store for us. So we need to get this too. Greatness is not being able to put others down. Greatness is not doing what, what I want. Greatness is service to God's will. Look at how clearly Jesus demonstrates that. Verse, verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. That is not my first choice of an agenda for, for what I would like to do, to, to be betrayed and killed, right? That, that does not sound good. But this great one was not going to control things for his benefit. He was going to be shackle and spear for, for our good. The world says that a great man inspires loyalty, not, not betrayal. The world says that, that a great man con controls things so that, so that uh, others do what he says, not so that he is, is handed over and, and accused. The world says a great man is a mighty warrior that defeats his enemies, not one that is hung on a cross in shame. But Jesus said, I am going to do all of those things because I love you. 
That's greatness. Greatness is service. He was willing to say, not my will, Father, but, but your will be done. He was willing to serve God's will. And by doing that, by putting himself last, he was putting us first. By serving God, he was making us great. Think of it. His death means that, that our sins are, are wiped away. There is not a blemish on our record. I mean, imagine that. No sin. No accusation that anyone can bring against you. Perfection. Can you imagine that? You actually don't have to imagine it because, because you're living it. Yes, I sin. Pride and 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 and. and and, and, and all of that, you do too. We can be disgusting. But by becoming our slave, by doing what we needed, he paid for every one of those sins with his death on the cross. And your sins are gone. You are now perfect in God's eyes. You are great. And so as you think about your greatness, yes, greatness is service to God's will because Jesus submitted himself to, to, to God's will and, and his will is that all of us be washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. So yeah, greatness is service to that. Praise God for that. But, but then as we live that uh, greatness, he shows us another way. He says greatness is service to others, even those that you might consider below you or not worth your service. Did you see how Jesus demonstrated that? He brought that little child, the one that everyone else would have walked right past because they wanted to have a conversation with someone really important. They would have completely ignored that child, but Jesus brought that child and said, let me teach you what greatness is. He said that serving that child would be serving him. And serving him is serving God, and, and remember we just learned that is greatness. But doesn't it seem a little counterintuitive? I mean, let me ask you this. Last time you found yourself cleaning up the mess of a little child whose stomach or bowels didn't quite work right and they didn't quite make it to the bathroom in time, last time you found yourself cleaning up something like that, did you feel like throwing your finger in the air and saying, I'm number one? Probably not as you're reaching for another baby wipe. And maybe that's the point. When God gets us to truly serve another, we stop thinking about how great we are. And it starts to dawn on us just how great he is, that he was willing to come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me, for us. You know those uh, security questions when you're trying to get into your online bank account and, and they want to make sure that it's really you and so they ask you a question that you had answered like three years ago when you set the thing up? Sometimes I struggle with remembering what I said was my favorite color or, or my, my uh, first pet or you know, my favorite restaurant. What was I in the mood for that day? I don't know. But there's one that I never struggle with. I can always, I'm happy when I see that's the question. Who was your greatest childhood teacher? 
greatest classroom teacher. Truth be told, I don't remember any of his lectures. I don't remember whether he was really smart or not. I don't remember if he was an easy grader or or a hard grader, but I remember that every Monday, Mr. Spurgeon would roll his chair up and down the aisle, and he would ask me how my weekend was. And then he would listen. This man who had a whole class to teach and all these things he had to get through would take time and have a conversation with me. An adult, with with me. And, And if you think I struggle with conversation now, imagine what I was as a fifth grader. But Mr. Spurgeon took the time and cared. And so I don't have to think twice when they say, who was your greatest classroom teacher? There's my answer. Greatness is service. So how do we apply that? Like Jesus, we we can never imagine that we are above anyone else, especially those that don't seem to have anything to offer. Right? Like, Like that little child. They are just important to God as, as any one of us. Every person we meet deserves our love and attention, not because they've earned it, but because God has. And he asks us to, to give it to them. So why not do the most loving thing imaginable and, and, and tell them about what God's done? Tell them about Jesus. Sure, we may never be great in the world's eyes, But you have a greatness that far supersedes theirs. Thanks to Jesus, you are great. And now you can show it in service to to God's will and in service to others. May God grant it in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace.